the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for calling, or not calling the show. Thanks for listening to the show. 800 800- 516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. When you look at the news, you should see financial stories there. American Idol is down to their final three. American Idol is product. Fox is publicly traded. Uh, many, many, many years ago, it was a wildly popular show based on eyeballs. And then some of the copycats came in and took some of the eyeballs away, and it's not nearly what it was, but the production costs kept going up because the longer people stay in a job, the more they want to get more compensation from it, right? Hopefully you have a little wage inflation in your life, much like Ryan Seacrest had in his life over 10 years. Um, other stories that I see out there, one in eight adults worldwide are obese. This is awesome. If this doesn't tell you to invest in healthcare, I don't know what does. Um... You know, I might lose 30 pounds next year if they amputate off my diabetic leg. Do I get a rim shot or no? I might lose 30 pounds next year if they amputate off my diabetic leg. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, When our children are going to school, not in smalls, not in mediums, not in larges, but they're going in husky sizes. It tells you that there's a problem. One in eight adults are now obese, a ratio that has more than doubled since 1975. You can invest in that. Healthcare. And for the record, I don't have diabetes. Yeah, just throwing that out there. Um, but if the rate of obesity continues at this pace, it's, it's, it turns into more and more spending. And I'm not going to say doctors are lawyers and like, have you ever seen a doctor cut a salary? I actually have. I actually feel bad for doctors. It used to be a pretty glamorous position. And, you know, I, I've talked to a couple of them that, you know, how much insurance paperwork they have to fill out just to get 50 bucks. Um, it seems like the system is just wrong on so many levels. But you should see headline stories as news. There was the guy who recently in San Francisco got a pod. Did you hear about this one, Tony? TonyMendezBayAreaLoanSource.com. 
No, I haven't. So in San Francisco, it's a pod. He's renting it for 400 bucks. It's basically a glorified coffin. He basically came to California, came to San Francisco. He was going to do a, a one-bedroom with a, a friend. Decided that that was too expensive. So he rented someone's living room space and put a pod in, which is, again, twice as tall as a coffin, maybe twice as wide as a coffin, and that's where he sleeps. Um, he parties outside of his pod, obviously. <laughs> you know, goes to other people's houses. Um, but I don't know if that's a story that tells you things have gotten way out of control. Or if this guy just understands that, you know, the difference between, you know, 150 square feet versus 400 isn't enough for him to pay $2,000 a month. And I, I think that's pretty smart. Um, the story kind of went viral. Uh, because when you take a look at this picture, it, it's the guy has figured out how to, you know, he's he Home depot the hell out of it. So there's a little desk inside of it. Um, but literally, you and I could be watching television in my living room and, there's a guy in the corner living in a coffin, um, sleeping in a coffin. I, again, I don't think he really lives in there. I just think he uses it as a, a sheltered bed. There's a guy that's uh, he takes those old ship containers, the ones that uh, and refurbishes them and sells them and, and and kind of furnishes them with you know some amenities and sells them as little kind of like trailer homes in a in a way. And they, they're not expensive. So people are being creative, Rob. And when you're young, you can do that. So there it is, buddy. Oh my gosh. So it's five hundred dollars a month. A little bit of brainstorming. It reminds me of that that movie with where there's a bunch of guys in a the house that are just doing normal activities, and there's one guy that sleeps on the bed and never moves. But take a look. Yeah, it's it's, it's not bad. Yeah, yeah, it's dazed and confused or something like that. I don't know. That's what you call it. plenty of room right there. Yeah. You know what else do you need, right? Well, half baked. What do we quote in half baked for? I was not paying attention. I was stuck on my story. It, it was about the guy who's just in the corner, not doing his, he's doing his own thing, and he never moves off the couch, kind of like that pod. Okay. Well, the pod, the question is, is, is this a story that San Francisco rents and real estate has gotten too high? When you could look at something that looks, it's literally two coffins tall, two coffins wide, and go, eh, it looks pretty nice for $500 a month. Um, certainly, he's figured out a way not to play the $2,000, $3,000 rent game. If you can find somebody who will let you put it in there, sure, why not? Okay, so um, that goes into the whole Airbnb thing. I now have friends who actively, actively do Airbnb um, on a regular basis. If they go to L.A. for the weekend, Airbnb. Um, if they go on a business trip, they throw their house on an Airbnb. We um, we have a mutual friend that, that uses Airbnb when he goes to, he's a, um, uh, he work, he's a fireman, and he works two or three day shifts out of his house, and he rents them, uh, his unit out. Yeah, while he's gone, and he made about twelve thousand dollars last year. So the question is, in your opinion, when you see someone living in a pod, a wooden pod, which is pretty nice, it's it's as nice as it could be, as nice as it could be imagined. Have we hit a high in real estate and rentals and rents? I think it can go higher. Do you think it can go yeah. higher? Uh, I was just reading an article about uh, the the CEO of KB Homes said that he he thinks that California uh, San Francisco real estate in particular can go even higher. He's it's, he's optimistic about it. Yeah, again, you're not going to find a lot of home builders saying we've hit a high and things are going down. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like quickly. a realtor saying, "Hey, real estate always goes up." But um, but I did in, in his interview because they reported earnings. He said something that was pretty interesting, in my opinion. Um, he talked about the home crisis of. 2006 was different than the one that we're in now. 
He says, now we have a shortage. Uh, we don't have enough homes. We need to build more homes, we need more single-family homes. Back then, we had plenty of inventory. We just had a lot of bad mortgages, a lot of bad deals. I think if it was just because it's all relative to the amount of inventory that we have compared to the buyers, and if this was a situation, Rob, where inventory was going to start picking up and we were going to start losing buyers, I think we, you know, you could take his statement and say, you know, maybe that was a little bit aggressive. But you know, we've we've been in this situation for a period of time, Rob. Rates are low and still not helping affordability. In fact, the gap is getting bigger between the people who can't afford and the people who can't. Uh, and inventory is going to continue staying low. We, there's many incentives to keep houses and, and, and not to sell them. People are stuck in their houses. So I think we have a long-term uh, situation for low inventory. And I think you can say something like $1.5 million in San Francisco is affordable because we just have few, such few inventory on the market and enough buyers for that. Right. But when things start to turn the corner, when affordability starts to become less affordability, which it is not is for most Americans right now. Um, when interest rates start to move higher, what you're going to find is a lot of these quote unquote investors or people who threw big money down, they don't want to lose big money. And you'll see a flood of, of properties hit the market pretty fast. People won't want to turn a $1.5 million home into a $500,000 home. Uh, no, but the, but the lack of inventory will continue driving up rents, which is really what we were talking about. And that, that ultimately will be a, an ongoing situation in San Francisco and, and it'll change the face of the city. Rob. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I'm and, a- and the Bay Area. It's not just San Francisco. When we say San Francisco, we mean the whole Bay Area. It's a, it's changing everything, Rob. I'm what's big, happened to Oakland? Well, I'm a big believer that um, part of inventory is tied towards success or failure of businesses in your, your area. Um, and we went from Web 1.0 to Web 2.0, um, where Yahoo is, is up for sale. And when Yahoo goes down, you're going to see 2,000 homes go on the market. Um, as they shut down employees and employees have to shift. Because trust me, Google and Facebook, they don't want the Yahoo people. They're too old. We're pretty optimistic right now, aren't we? You're pretty optimistic. I'm not. Um, I'm realistic. Um, I'm we'll speaking for the people. When web, when IPOs like web, like, did you see all the IPOs last year? Most of them were flops. That is not a good sign for real estate. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. You gotta know. I'm feeling love. You gotta know I'm feeling love. You gotta know I'm feeling love. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. It's gotta be love, I said it. I might as well be in our garden. Welcome in. You're listening to Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. A couple things that I want to do on this show is teach you how to be a better investor. I can say ludicrous things like Tesla's going to put Velcro restraints in their new car. They've got a front and back, you know, hood system going. And, of course, Tesla's not going to put Velcro restraints in the car. I could talk about how Uber's introducing a new service called Juber, where a Jewish person will come pick you up and kvetch the whole time while he's driving around the city. And I'll say it with such authenticity and such conviction that you actually believe it. Um, you know, talking about Jerry Brown and the $15 minimum wage, and he's willing to put uh, Prop 13 up for repeal. 
And it sounds good because you hear it on radio or television. And if I don't say, ha-ha, it's a joke, you might actually believe it. Be very cautious with what you hear on radio and television. Just because someone's on radio and television does not make them an expert. In fact, about 98% of people on radio and television are not experts. Um, if you watch CNBC, uh, they're all journalists. And some of them are just good-looking people. I used to work with Cheryl Cassoni, who works at Fox Business now. And her job before working at Cron as my co-host was as a Southwest Airlines um, stewardess. Nothing wrong with that, but does that mean you should be on Fox Business dishing out financial news? Um, and yeah, sometimes just by sitting there and doing it for 12,000 hours, you do become really, really good at something. Um, but be very cautious on who you see as a Buddha, who you see as a guru. Um, anyone who has an app is a joke to me. Anyone who has a newsletter, a joke to me. Um, anyone. So yeah, true insights in this world uh, are not for sale at $49 a month in my opinion. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Uh, picking a real estate agent is something I think you always need to do intelligently. Um, and it's to me, it's about networking. So it's the biggest, biggest regret that I have of my 20s is that I didn't network better. And um, one of my friends, and like um, the guy who's running the show right now, he's, he's a beer guy um, by night, but by day he's a radio guy. Um, his hobby is crafting beer. And through the years, he's he's kind of networked into that industry pretty well. And he should continue to network into it because that's his hobby. That's his passion. That's his love. Um, and that'll lead somewhere. And you network enough and it goes somewhere. Um, I've got a friend who she's um, incredibly likable. But she was working kind of a city kind of uh, job. And it wasn't a great job. But once on a plane, she sat next to someone who worked for a company. Um, her skill set was was tied towards mapping uh, for the city. And he works for a, a charitable organization that goes around the world, and they have to figure out mapping solutions to how do you get blood from you know one part of Africa to the other without a warlord in between. Blood goes bad. You have to do it fast. You have to do it with drones. You have to do things along those lines. She got a job just because she sat next to someone and was pleasant and talked about her job. Um, a great job, like one of the best, a dream job. Networking really, really important. I think in real estate, the same. Um, you and I, there's there's people I hate. There's realtors that I absolutely hate. But if you could let me put them in a room with like um, razor blades and argon gas and like melt them a little bit and like ultimately push them down the toilet, like down the drain, I'm in. I don't know what um, William White did on, was it William White? Walter White did on Breaking Bad where he melted the person. They, they killed a guy, and then they put him in a bathtub and basically put enough chemicals on the guy that it melted him. It also melted the bathtub and melted the floor, and it turned into an ungodly mess. But there's some realtors that I would love to do that to, and some mortgage lenders. Beware. So the question to you, Tony Mendez with BayAreaLoanSource.com, um, how often do you run across people that, in your industry? Because you, you run across a lot of realtors. You run across a lot of mortgage lenders. How often do you run across someone who's, who's not an expert, who's, who's well, actually hurtful for a person? You can be a good networker and a bad professional. Yes. So there's some people, and that's what the uh, a lot of people run into in, in the real estate business is people that just know how to network, but they might not be good at what they do. Um, that's the first thing that I would, I would probably want to put out there. And we run across people like that all the time. Um, we, we, we get, in particular, at our broker, a lot of lenders coming in and trying to start up new products. And 
we have to kind of feel them out and then, you know, they push and push all the good things about their business and then it doesn't really pan out. We might send them one product or, or one transaction and just say, you know, that's the last thing we ever do with them. But, um, in, as far as a consumer is concerned, uh, you know, I, I always like good referrals from people that, that you've done business with in the yep. past. Um, and that's the, probably the best networking that you can do. Uh, I, I use a bunch of, Realtors that I wouldn't trade for anything because I know I, I've done transactions with them. Um, I know how they work. They know how I work. And I think that that's how the real estate business work. We work with the same title companies. We, 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 when we ask them for something, they do it. Uh, no questions asked. Um, you know, and that's something that just takes time, Rob. Um, and you're not going to get into the real estate business and be an expert at everything right away. Um, so I like yeah. seasoned people, yeah. people that but are there are seasoned. people who are seasoned and I'd prefer not to wait. Well, for see, the that's the hard part. And, and I think really what you're asking is that even when you do find somebody that is networked really well and you've gotten that referral and you're, you're thinking about using them, what do you do next? How do you know if this person actually can perform? Well, in the world of real estate, you could ask for a recent client that they had. And, and that would be, that would be the next step. And, and a lot of people, ask, Rob, they don't go that extra step. They just go, Hey, you've got a great website. You've been in, working for a long time. Hey, this is you. You could look up their licensing you could look and up see if licensing. they've been disciplined. Yep. There was one guy that I worked with back in Washington, D.C., um, a guy named Scott. I won't say his last name. And I was going to hire him because he had a good presence and everything. Um, said he got a degree from Northwest. I called Northwest to see if he had a degree. He didn't have a degree. Mm-hmm. You know, this was, you know, his LinkedIn profile. We didn't have LinkedIn 20 years ago. But his LinkedIn profile was all that in a bucket of chicken. And it was all lies. Like, you have to check on some of these people. Um, anyone that you're working with, you should check their license. Um, I would select, you know, someone with the right credentials, uh, be very careful on credentials because like, for instance, in financial planning, and I don't know about your world of mortgages and, and realtors, but there's a certified financial specialist, a guy that refers to him as certified financial specialist, certified retirement specialist. That's bull crap. There's no such title. There's no such certification. Like the only certification is a certified financial planner and they've got a little copyright around it. But you'll see people run around like, hi, everybody, I do a show on the good life of, of getting people to retirement. I'm a certified financial retirement expert. And like, what's that mean? Like, I could be a certified superhero for all you care. But does it mean anything? No, you have to check certification. How long has someone been in business? Yeah, I think that's important. Um, I, I think it's also, also in the, especially in the real estate business, because so much has changed over the last few years, yeah. uh, how active are they? Yeah. Uh, because if you haven't done a transaction in a while, um, you may, first of all, you're not going to know the tone of what, how the market is working right now. You, you're not going to fit in. And second, there's a lot of paperwork that has changed. And you want, yeah, a lot of rules have changed, Rob. And you want a realtor who knows a lot of realtors so that when they sell your home or when they're buying a home, they can like network and say, Hey, I have a client who fits these needs. Can you help? You can find Tony at BayAreaLoanSource.com. I am the Superman of radio. I'm certified Superman. Fine. Listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. 
Welcome back in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Joining me now is Zach Schoenfeld from Newsweek. Zach, how are you? Zach? Yes. Um, you're from Newsweek. Give us a little color on your background and what you do for Newsweek. Um, sure. I'm, I'm a reporter for Newsweek. I, I mostly cover culture. I write a lot about um, music and media and sometimes movies. And um, I, I also have a background in writing about presidential, presidential trivia. Um, I did a senior thesis project in college about presidential historic sites. And um, th- this article is about the ages of, of presidential candidates today and throughout history. Well, give me a little presidential trivia that's uh, tantalizing or teasing if you've got, got one available to you. I'm sorry? Do you have a little presidential trivia on the tip of your tongue? Sure. Well, um, I mean, that's relevant to the article. Oh, no, no, no. I just You said you did this great thing, this thesis, and I thought maybe there was one takeaway from it or one cute insight, but we could stick with the article if you want to do that. Well, uh, the, the thesis that I did was on a pretty different topic. It was about presidential historic sites, and I visited um, the birthplaces of, of um, over 35 U.S. presidents around the country. I must have misheard you. Um, let's go to your article for the election 2016. 70 is the new 45. What's this all about? What's the insight that we should be pulling away from this? Sure. The, the article is about um, the fact that in, in, in this current election, the um, two of the front-running candidates, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, are both approaching 70, um, w- w- which is older than almost every president that we've had throughout history. Um, and if you combine their ages or you average out their ages, um, the, 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 these are the two oldest candidates that, that we've had in one in the same election. Um, if, if they wind up being the, the nominees and they wind up running against each other. The, the only president in U.S. history who's ever governed into his 70s was Ronald Reagan, who was 69 when he was inaugurated and um, 77 when he left office. It's pretty crazy because I remember those years that a lot of people thought, you know, you saw less and less of him in the final two to three years of his presidency, and was he really running the country at that point in time? Is there any fear that um, too old is a problem at this point in time, in your opinion? I don't think there is. I think I think that Bernie Sanders has um, faced some questions because he's he's actually 74. He'll be 75 by the time of the election. But I think that people today are much more willing to um, vote older candidates into office. I, I think that. Um, particularly, you know, pe- people have access to modern medicine and, and great doctors and people are living longer than they ever have. And um, people in their 70s are seen as being fit to serve and fit to lead the country in, in a way that would not have been conceivable even 40 or 50 years ago. And yet we also have a new Canadian prime minister, Justin Trudeau, who's incredibly young. So it is skewing kind of both ways. Um, it is. Yeah, that's correct. I'm a little concerned with electing a president who's 70 plus years old just because the perception of how do you explain to children, how do you explain to people if he dies in office? Um, mm-hmm. Because that's kind of dramatic. And then it goes back to my childhood school days of, okay, so the vice president takes over. Who who becomes the vice president? Is that the head of Congress? And like, there's some crazy succession issues. that Right. And I, I don't think the candidates, you know, I don't think the candidates want us to be worrying about that. They, I mean, they all seem to be in excellent health. And um, what, what, one thing that's interesting is that um, a, a, a 
one doctor who's, who's an expert on presidential aging claims that the campaign itself is basically a litmus test for how healthy and how fit they are to be president because it's so exhausting and so grueling to spend a year on the campaign trail. That If you can handle that at the age of 70, then, you know, you can handle the job itself. What else inside this article is there that we need to be paying attention to as far as, um, you know, 70 year, plus years old? Are they more seasoned? Do we feel comfortable with that? Because I'm on they the other hand seasoned. side. Um, I, and I think I think if the election comes down to Clinton versus Trump, I, th- I think it's particularly interesting that they're not only older than the average president, but they've they've been in the national eye for quite a long time. Tr- Trump has been a national celebrity for around 30 years now, and then of course um, Hillary Clinton has has been a national figure since she became first lady in 1993, or really since the campaign in 1992. Um, so we, we've seen a lot of both of these people. We've known them for a long time. Um, we all know who they are. We all know what they've done. And um, they, they all have the benefit of name recognition and, you know, the celebrity power that comes along with having been in the public eye for so many years. Youth, um, obviously not always a political advantage because you can be perceived as being too old and, um, I would almost say John McCain with Sarah Palin, it did come up like what happens if he dies in office, she would be the president and that kind of spooked a lot of people. Um, right. Is there any disadvantage to uh, being older in your opinion, as far as the media goes? Well, sure. You, you, you have to fight the perception that you're too frail to be president. I think that's something that Bob Dole dealt with when he ran for president in 1996. He, he was, 72 or 73 at that time. I think he he turned 73 over the summer. And um, I mean, he, he would have been the oldest first term president that we've ever had. And he actually, um, he, he fell down. He fell off of a stage at a rally. That's right. um, he had a bit of a mishap and, um, you know, that, that got him pegged as, you know, being too much of an old man or perhaps, you know, perhaps not fit enough to, to be president. Also kind of interesting that um, I'm not sure, would it be the first time we've had a grand grandparent, grandfather, or a grandmother elected as president? I, I don't think it would be the first. Okay. Um, I, I believe, um, I think George H.W. Bush was a grandfather at the time okay, of his sense. presidency. Yeah. And I think there are a few others. So what do you think, do you think it's going to take to swing it the other way, back to the... John F. Kennedy's the good-looking young up-and-coming senator, like mm-hmm. President Barack Obama was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it. I think it comes and goes in cycles. You know, sometimes, sometimes, you know, the electorate gets really excited about a young, youthful, fresh face, and I, th- I think a lot of pundits expected Marco Rubio to, to be that candidate this time around, and, and that proved to be, you know, not the case at all. His, his campaign kind of fizzled out. Um, and, and and this time the, the youth vote particularly is is going for Bernie Sanders, who's you know old enough to to be the grandfather of many of his voters. Thanks very much. That's Zach Schoenfeld with Newsweek talking. Seventy five is the new or seventy is the new forty five uh, with Newsweek and the presidential election campaign cycle that we're in at this point in time. It is going to be interesting to see who is elected president and. I guess in our lifetime, will a president die in office of old age or 
you know, what would it be like to see a, a president getting cancer treatments? Is it very presidential? I mean, you can take a look at you know the current cycle that we're in as far as the primaries go and go. Uh, Trump's not very presidential, but when does it become a problem? Because I kind of skew towards I want the younger, fresh meat, so to speak. Um, seeing Trudeau out of prime uh, prime minister out of Canada, um, I like that. So I kind of like a, a guy who's a little bit more on the fit side. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. One of the areas that um, I'm always look, looking at and I would say slightly concerned is tax breaks. And one of the areas that, you know, the United States has is we've got this tax code that's just incredibly complex. But I do think it favors the rich in a lot of areas, like mortgage interest. One of the best well-known tax deductions, you may not think of mortgage interest deduction as a tax break for the rich. Keep in mind that in order to utilize this deduction, taxpayers need to itemize, which is much more common amongst the rich. There's other aspects of mortgage interest deduction that favor the rich. For one, the deduction is valid up to $1 million in mortgage debt. That alone right there tells you, uh, ding, 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 the rich are getting a nice benefit here. Second homes qualify. Um, as you can imagine, most low and middle income taxpayers don't own a second home, but many rich people do. Um, Tony Mendez, Bay Area Loan Source. It's one of the best reasons to own real estate, but again, it, it, it kind of, it labels me as rich in a funny way. And I don't feel rich in the Bay Area. Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to feel rich in the Bay Area, especially with a million dollar mortgage, huh? It, it, it's a big payment. And, and if you've run the numbers, you, you're looking at two, three hundred thousand dollars a year for that, but you don't feel like you're making that when you have a million dollar mortgage. Your payments, you know, eight thousand dollars a month plus your taxes and and your insurance, and it just starts adding up. Um, plus, you spend a lot of money for your down payment. So, um, the tax benefits are fantastic uh, in real estate. It doesn't matter if it's an owner occupied or a rental property, and I think that's it's still one of the most attractive parts of the tax um, um, program that we have here in the United States. It, it, we, we have these great tax benefits that uh, every year I, I write off my rental properties and, you know, I have some depreciation here and I have a little bit of taxes and a little bit of management fees. And, and if I do any work out of my, even if I do work out of my office, like uh, uh, pertaining to this property, I can write that off. So there's so many benefits to owning this real estate. Uh, it's going to continue like this for a long and then, and then you have tax breaks like Prop 13. I mean, well, Prop 13 was pretty interesting this week when Jerry Brown noted that in order to pay for the minimum wage going to $15, he's willing to repeal Prop 13 and get rid of it. He's going to put it up for a measurement, uh, measure Q in the November. I'd be election. interested to see how that turns out. So repealing Prop 13, I think it'd be great for the state. Jerry Brown's going to do it in order to pay for that $15 minimum wage hit that's going to hit California. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW.
I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. I do not pretend to know everything. I work really hard. I try to have an open mind about everything that I look at. I, I, I think I do a nice job. Um, getting you prepared for Wall Street. I think the best thing you can do is max out your 401k again and again and again and again and again. Your 403b, your 457. Um, save more money every year. If you get a 2% raise, save an extra 1%. Just make it automatic. Don't have lifestyle creep invade your lifestyle. Otherwise, you're going to be poor in retirement. Um, and again, I'm not saying drive a car until it has 190,000 miles on it. I'm saying don't get a new car every three years, four years. But, you know, be intelligible about it. And um, I don't like new cars. I like slightly used cars. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. One of the headlines I see out there. AOL co-founder Steve Case backs DC Tech Incubator, 1776, blah, 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 blah. So AOL, do you remember AOL? You've got mail. The little chat rooms that they had. AOL stock. AOL once bought Time Warner. Like, do we forget these things? And, like, it was one of the biggest disaster mergers acquisitions of all time. The Time Warner thought they needed AOL. They didn't. Um, And they broke that up as fast as they could afterwards. But what's interesting about Steve Case is that he left his wife. And these are, like, stories that people forget. But I remember because I do radio and television. And, you know, you have to find sexy stories. He had just like the raunchiest affair online um, through internal emails um, with a worker at AOL and basically it ruined his marriage. He owns most of Hawaii at this point in time. I know I'm exaggerating a little bit, but that's how much money AOL ultimately made. I don't think my producer is listening right now, so I'm going to start saying dirty words like ship. Just seeing if you're listening. Um. <laughs> Eight hundred five one six twelve twenty to get your calls on the air. But yeah, so um, just dirty raunchy. I mean, like twenty thirty years later, he's like a statesman for venture capital. He's cleaned up. He's a good guy. But there are some sexy moments for AOL back in the day. I heard somebody the other day say that there was a, a email company that's still charging for emails. Did AOL charge for emails at the time? Didn't they? I don't think so. So I think you you somehow have had uh, your head bumped or something. Um, charged for emails? Yeah. Instant messages used to get, you know, charged per se. You know, Verizon would give you like unlimited voice, but they would, you know, try to kill you on the, uh, well, they didn't give you unlimited voice. It was 200 hours of voice. And then, you know, the data plan was up to 100, you know, instant messages a month. And like they had to kill that because otherwise people would be bankrupt. Uh, let's talk about improving your home. This is highly controversial to me. Um, should you or should you not improve your home? And like, I, my home could use some improvements. I could use a second level. There's some things that I could do if I wanted to. But to me, I'm just like, eh. Do I need? Do I really need 2,000, 2,500 square feet? No. I think it, it's controversial because a lot of people say that to figure out if they actually need it, and it depends on why you want to do it as well. Are you going to sell the house and try to get the money back or more? A lot of people are thinking that way, Rob, right now with a lot of places here in the Bay Area. You remember that most of the homes in a lot of these urban areas were built in pre-50s, and they don't have the right floor plans. On uh, one of the on my list of the things you can do is to improve your floor plan. We have a client right now who's buying a 1.2 million dollar property, 
and she's going to change the floor plan of this property, do some fixer upper amenities and so on, and maybe build a, an extra room. And she's going to turn around and sell it for 1.8, and she's going to only spend a couple hundred thousand dollars. She'll make you know a couple hundred thousand dollars on this transaction on a flip, and and people are doing this. Rob, money's cheap. But is that controversial? I think that's it could be a smart move in this up kind of market right now, especially if you can get your hands on that property. It's interesting to know that you talk about floor plans. Did you know the city that I live in was once the getaway city for San Franciscans? So people bought second homes on my street. And when you take a look at my floor plan, it kind of makes sense. It's, it's awful. Yeah. Um, it's not very functional as a home, but as a getaway home for a couple out of San Francisco 50 years ago, it was ideal uh, 50, 60, 70 years ago. So my street's kind of historic because it was a getaway street. It was a second home street for San Franciscans. And now, like, everyone has remodeled and, and spent money on their homes um, by tearing down the original floor plans and putting in boxes. And I hate it. I hate That's something I, um, I'll say about California real estate is when it turns into everything's a teardown, and then something, they're just going to put a bigger floor plan on it. I don't think we need that much space. My hometown in Virginia, almost every house is a tear down and, and rebuilt. You have a hometown? Yeah. Well, I, it's the place I lived the longest. What's that? Vienna, Virginia. Okay. So, so. Some people might know it. It's just a little incorporated town right in Fairfax County. Is it where the CIA is? Uh, no, that's Langley, quite a okay. few miles away. But um, it was, my dad worked there, so it was convenient. Your dad was a spook. My dad was a spook, yeah. It's an interesting note. And your mother tells great stories about LSD parties within the spook society. It was really weird. Yeah, it was a, it was a strange upbringing because there was always that strict environment and secrecy. And then, you, you know, but it, it was also during the 70s where you couldn't help but run into some kind of crazy friends that were doing something illegal. So but, a modern updated kitchen topped the list of ideal home features in a survey of millennials. Registering is most important to more than a third of respondents. I don't know. So, I, I think there's a good chance when I buy your, my next home, I'm not going to like the kitchen. Yeah, I think that, that what a lot of people get sold is that you, you there's a good chance that some of these lists out there are done by realtors just to say, hey, this is something interesting for you to consider when you're buying this house. Uh, you can improve it. Uh, this is what the new thing is. And you have to be really careful. You know, I, if I ever did an improvement, I wouldn't do it just because somebody else is doing it. I would do it for, out of necessity. Um, but, but then how much you is really it truly out of, how much is it truly out of necessity? Exactly. I mean, do you really need Corian countertops or do you really need that extra bathroom? Um, I mean, I think people, uh, I think kids might have a big play in it. You might need an extra room for kids or an extra bathroom for a kid or a different kind of design or as you get older, but in your, you know, when you're younger and you can, you're a little bit more mobile and you're especially, especially if you're active, Californians are really active. You, we talked earlier about a guy who has a pod. In a house. It's all he needs. He needs a place where he can be private and everything else is very social. And I think Californians in general are like that. Um, so necessity is really that your lifestyle more than the, the amenities that you need in your house. Um, we have neighbors that they come and go and I rarely see them and they just need a place to sleep because they're outside so often. Um, I guess it depends on if you want to turn it into a home or just a kind of a landing spot. It's interesting to note because um, I think there's always options, and I think that's where people kind of get messed up. I've got a friend named Steve who he's got two older kids now. I, I want to say probably like 15 and 12, 
So he's gone through the thrashing of the house, where they play hockey, where they roller skated the house. And his whole thing right now, not his whole thing, but we were talking recently, and he's like, yeah, I got a quote to refinish my floors. And then I, he said, out of curiosity, I wanted to see how much it would be to put in new floors. And it was almost the same exact price. After he negotiated the putting in new floors price lower. And at one point in time, the people who were selling the, the new flooring, they were like, let's say they're at $10 a foot. He got them down to $3 a foot just by continually going and saying, okay, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Going back. And in price, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Going back. And he eventually got what he wanted. So he got all new floors for the same price of a refinishing floor. Uh, smart. It, it, can, it is smart, but not everybody's going to do that. Money's cheap right now, and people are saying, hey, you know, I can get an equity line. Uh, equity lines are pretty cheap right now. Be careful, of course, that those are usually variable, meaning interest rates, can't, if they go up, your rate will go the up. The thing that scares me about money being cheap, it's cheap because the economy is not strong. And if you if you can't put those two things together, it's cheap for me, and I've got a great job. Woohoo! Consumers consumer loans are up eleven percent year but it's over cheap year. For that guy over there, and he's got a crap job. Credit card debt is up over seven percent year over year. Yeah, yeah. It, it, a lot of people are borrowing right now, and and they they have this. You, you may want to call it false confidence in in the economy, but they're watching their home prices go up, but wages aren't going up. The one thing that is different, though, between this era of credit card debt compared to the last one is that uh, the repayment percentage is much higher. It's like 98%. There's only about a 2% default rate. On on average, it's about 4 So people are making their payments back. And that's part of – I think that's a pretty good equation when you put it together, Rob. Yeah, speaking of credit cards real quick, Costco just came out with a new credit card where they give 4% back on cash, 3% back on restaurants and vacations. That's pretty good. Um, I, it's almost like giving away money for free. The 4% back on cash. So I now have a vacation card. I now have a gas card. So I have three different credit cards to satisfy different things in my life of what I'm spending on. Um, but minimum, I'm getting 2% back. Maximum, I'm getting 4% back on gas. You know, like, I'm good with that. I've got no pride. So I've got a Costco credit. Well, I don't have to. Setting up a card. dangerous scenario, isn't it, Rob? Where everything is cheap, everybody gets used to borrowing money at such a cheap rate, and then all of a sudden the economy does a little bit better, and we start having a little bit of inflation, and next thing you know, we have to start paying all these bills back. Um, One of the things that we're running into in our side of the business is people are having trouble qualifying for those little bit of mortgages that are higher because they're stuck in their house already, but they want to improve it. Talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You can find Tony Mendez at BayAreaLoanSource.com. He is a mortgage lender. He is a friend of mine. He does all of my mortgages and loans. You can find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. You can find me at uh, Rob Black Show Twitter, uh, YouTube Rob Black Show, and RobBlackShow.com. Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the shoe. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. 
Um, Tony Mendez, com is here. And one of the things, you know, we, we vaguely brushed upon, and it was low cost of money and how great it is. It's great for very few people because there's a ramification that it's tied towards of why is it so cheap? And, you know, to me, I think the housing crisis has gotten worse as far as affordability goes. It has. In fact, there was a report yesterday that came out for 2015 saying that uh, 2015, in 2014, there were only nine counties in the United States that were unaffordable for the median income. Now it's up to 43. So, yeah. I was I was easily crazy. able to afford a home on the East Coast 20 years ago. Easily. With a nice salary. Not great. You know, I started off my career like everyone else. When I started a company, first year I lost money, second year I broke even, third year I made money. Um, I had to burn through some savings to get the company up and going and, and chugging. But I was still able to afford a home. Um, moving to the Bay Area, I was like, okay, I'm going to rent for a little bit. Yeah, kind of interest rates were higher too. Kind of figure out where we are with this whole property thing. And then, you know, eventually buying a home, my salary kept going up year over year. And I, I just... If I were to move here today as a 20-year-old, I wouldn't be able to afford renting and or owning. We, we talked about this last night, Rob, and back in 2013, there was predictions about how high interest rates could go and affordability levels would still be sustained. Um, and they, they said it would be a 5 to 5.5%, depending on who you asked. I don't think that would be the case today. Uh, we haven't seen, you know, here in the Bay Area, double digits every year up practically um, – and and then places now like Portland and Seattle, they're up 10, 10 11% a year over year. So they're going to start seeing the crunch as far as affordability. Um, but as a nation, you know, 5%, I think 5.4%, the Schiller case, uh, the case Schiller index showed their uh, national increase year over year. Um, and that's going to keep happening. It's growing. It was, well, it's let's up speak about 10%. the whole case Schiller thing. Um, if you remember in the 2000 real estate bubble, um, a lot of people in the Bay Area, they bought in Tracy and they bought in Stockton because they couldn't afford the Bay Area. This was 2000, 2006. And then those homes basically became foreclosure capitals of the world. Um, a lot of people would go out of state to Phoenix and they'd go to Vegas. And those cities became foreclosure capitals of the world. Now where are people going? They're going to Portland. And I've got friends that have gone to Portland and they're hated. Um, people from Oregon hate Californians because we're coming up there with, you know, just our down payment. Yeah, and yeah, buying a house, yeah. you know, California down payment equals a house in Portland, and it's driving up their costs. So the the people who are, you know, you know, second generation, third generation, they're not going to be able to afford homes because they're Californians. Um, it's interesting. And to they know, may not have something like Prop 13 to help them with their taxes, and that's going to start going up. It's getting expensive everywhere, Rob. I understand that. Um, it's getting expensive everywhere, but again. Affordable housing has to be part of the solution. And it, it can't just be, okay, well, we're going to give this company, you know, 10 acres, and they're going to build, you know, um, 10 luxury condos, and they're going to throw in two affordable housing condos. It's not, the math isn't going to work. So, and again, if you just talk to people like school teachers, um, if they don't marry well, they can't live in the communities that they serve. So I've got a friend... Um, her, her, she's married, and her husband Brian, her his dad is one of the wealthiest people in California. Um, he developed at the right time, and he's got a rake, and he just pulls in the money rake and kind of thing. If she didn't marry well, she wouldn't be in a house in Belmont um, as a school teacher. So, 
And she didn't even marry well. He came out of his mother's womb well. So he came out from well-funded Silver parents. Spoon. Something like that. And, uh, again, it's just, it's humbling because I think the cheap cost of money, it's kind of, it's a two-edged sword that people don't see the backside. So I'll, I'll sit here and I'll hear 365 mortgages and like, blah, 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 money's great and like, blah, money, money's cheap, blah, blah, blah. But it's cheap for a reason. So I would like to see higher, more expensive. I'd like to see a 7% mortgage again. It would wreck California real estate if we move from 4% to 7%. You would see I think it'd make it pretty interesting, uh, to say the least. Uh, it would make, affor- back, yeah, it'd make affordability at, at current prices impossible. It'd, it'd be pretty tough, yeah. The, uh, for every percent increase in interest rates, about 12% on your, what you, uh, on your payment, and that equals quite a bit more money for the average price here in the Bay Area. You're, you're looking at $20,000, $30,000 more per year in order to cover that. So, yeah, I mean, unless you're looking at wage increases, you, you can't sustain higher interest rates. I saw a statistic that, you know, it's totally bogus, but it's worth noting that for every 1% interest rate higher, you probably knock 10% off a home value. So if we move from 4% to 5%, you'd have to take, you know, a home from... That could sound reasonable. And that tells you if, if rates go back to where they are historically norm, which no one's expecting... We, but going back to the original statement about 2013 to 2016, we're a lot closer to that happening than we were back then. And meaning our affordability levels are very, very tough. You can't get much lower than San Mateo County where it's 9% affordability level. Or you and, just, and then the East Bay is 20%. The average here in the Bay Area is 22%. That's pretty darn low. The average in the United States is about 50%. And when you see stories like Facebook, not Facebook, but Yahoo putting themselves up for sale, that should scare people who own homes on the peninsula. When you start seeing legendary companies or ex-legend or ex-iconic, um, you know, Facebook's growing now, but when they stop growing, there's going to be a lot of homes for sale. Um, and we'll see. Because, you know, uh, 15, 20 years ago, the only place to be a tech company was Silicon Valley. And now New York's quite popular. Um, and the barriers to entry that Silicon Valley has removed has made any city possible to become an app city, mm-hmm. whether it be Portland, whether it be Seattle or whomever. You can find Tony Mendez at BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. You can find me at Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show, website, RobBlackShow.com. Don't be shy. Have a good day. Take care. Tell friends. Spread the word. Hallelujah, hallelujah, or something along those lines. Take care. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.